You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to do a strategy review and analysis as a baseline for how to improve next year. I won't go into too many details reviewing any of the specific hunts because I already have breakdowns for those. However, I may reference them as needed. I do this exercise every year as a way to be a little bit more diligent about my planning process. Some things worked well, others not so much, so I'd like to build upon the things that did go well and try not to repeat the other things. I'll discuss the overall tag and state strategy, which times of year I hunted each tag, the weapons used, and even the types of land up hunting. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info, add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. So one of the things that I did this year, and I probably mentioned this in other podcasts as well, was I, I tried to be a little bit more specific about when I did certain hunts and only signing up for as many hunts as I could realistically put a lot of time and effort into. Because in the past, I've you know had these really grand plans and got a lot of tags and would end up bouncing back and forth between a lot of different states and a lot of different tags. And you get to the point where you feel like you're a little bit behind the curve and you don't really know exactly what to do next because you know maybe you drive out to one state for three, four, five days and you're just not feeling it like, oh, should I go back to this other state and hunt or should I stay and stick it out here? And by the end of the season, I would usually just feel like I wasn't very much in control at all. And uh, I wasn't making very good decisions. So what I ended up doing a little bit more, which started last year and uh, even this year, just refined it a little bit further, was being very specific about this time in the year, I'm going to hunt this tag with this weapon. And regardless of the success outcome, once it's done, I'm going to move over to this tag, this state, this weapon. And then once that's done, I'm going to move over to this tag, this state, this weapon. And then, you know, by a certain time of the year, like whatever's left, I could continue to hunt, you know, if it was late season or if it was rifle season or whatever. And that really does seem like it's been helping out quite a bit. Number one, it creates a little bit more of a sense of urgency for some of those earlier hunts because I know that I only have a specific time limit to be able to fill that tag in and then I'm moving on to something else. Uh, number two, if you're just really struggling, it gives you something to look forward to. It's like, oh, I'm just going to stick this out and keep grinding for another you know, weekend. And then I've got to hunt this other tag. And I think the last thing that it does is 
it doesn't allow me to spend too much time in an area that uh, I really should not be spending a lot of time in because it's just not working out and I need a change. And so I think for all those reasons, it definitely has been helpful. And it, it also, I think, is helpful in a similar uh, line of thought that it's not overwhelming. It's not like I'm going, you know, one weekend at this place and then another weekend in this state. And then, you know, by the time I'm done, I've, I've hunted, you know, five or six states. I've done that a little bit, you know, several years ago. And I felt like I learned a lot of new habitats doing that. So it, it was definitely useful when I had done it. But it's also extremely hard to have a lot of success throughout the season when you're only putting in a few days at any given spot. You know, I'd ideally like to have, you know, at minimum a week uh, for like the velvet hunts. Like I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with anything less than, you know, five, six days, ideally, even though you obviously can get by with less than that if you have a good experience. But ideally, I'd like even more than that. I'd like, if it's a week, the opportunity to be able to go back at some time later in the year, uh, or maybe just a month. Like I give myself, you know, for traditional hunting this year in my home state of Minnesota, I said, okay, roughly a month time frame. you know, from the season opener, mid September through roughly mid October, like that's my time frame. That's all I'm going to do during that time. I might still have cameras in other places in other states for future tags, but that's my focus. And that was, you know, full month. And I think that was helpful because it allowed me to focus uh, but if you guys remember from earlier in the year, the update that I did on traditional, it was a lot of work uh, for very few deer sightings in the area that I was in. And so it was probably a good thing that I said, okay, now it's getting ready to, you know, to go to pre-rut. I'm going to switch dates and start hunting on a different tag, go back to the compound. And it kind of refreshed everything in my mind. And I was able to, you know, get that renewed sense of, of uh, energy to keep on going and, and put a high degree of effort into it. And so for all of those reasons, I think that I'm just going to continue to do that high level breaking up my season into different tags, different states, et cetera. But I might have some differences in what I choose to insert at each time of the year. So just to kind of summarize again, what I did this year is uh, with the Spartan Forge crew went out to North Dakota for the velvet hunt. That's, you know, first week of September. And we were out there for about a week. And then I came back home. I think I maybe had one weekend off and then the local hunting kicked up where I was able to my traditional bow and the area that I had chose to do a lot of this hunting in, it is not a super high deer density area and it's very vast. You can't run trail cameras in it. Um, you're kind of limited in glassing opportunities too. There's a lot of places where the deer can bed. There's a lot of places where the deer could feed. The acorns were not hot and heavy this year. So I spent a lot of time just trying to find, you know, real time hot food sources and was able to get on some deer, but then even when I was, there was always kind of this, you know, split uh, decision-making of, you know, would I shoot a doe or would I try and hold out for a buck, given that I only had one tag. And the way that Minnesota is spl uh, split up is kind of goofy in that you have areas where you can shoot like, you know, three deer. You have areas where you can shoot unlimited deer. You have other areas where it's buck only. You have certain areas where you have to you know, put in a lottery to get a doe tag. It's all based on the population and whether or not they want the population in that uh, management unit to grow or decrease or stay the same. And so this is one of those areas where they know it gets a, you know, gobs of hunting pressure during the uh, shotgun season. And so they give you less tags or they give out less tags. And they say in this specific area for this year, it was hunter's choice. Like I could choose to shoot a buck or a doe, but if I shot a doe, I had to put my archery tag on, not a bonus uh, doe tag, which meant that 
even if I wanted to at some point later in the season go out and try and shoot a buck, even if I went to a place that was unlimited deer, I couldn't do that because I had to burn that archery tag if I would have chosen to shoot a doe. Um, and it's not like I was in that hunt uh, passing a, a ton of deer anyway. Like I mentioned, it was kind of tough hunting, but that thought was still on my mind. And in years past, I've been able to go out after work quite a bit and hunt because it was a fairly close to my house type of place. Uh, but this year, just with the work schedule, I was only really able to go out there weekends, which meant that I was hitting the reset button like every week. And I'd get out there and I'd try and find fresh sign again. I'd scout, I'd get on it and maybe have, you know, one mediocre hunt, one good hunt, and then would have to, you know, wait till the next uh, weekend to do it all over again. And so I wasn't really a huge fan of that. I think it's definitely something I'm going to change. I do want to continue to hunt with the traditional bow. That's a a goal that I'd set for myself that I was not able to accomplish this year. Uh, I nearly did, like when I talked about in the uh, podcast with Troy and uh, Daryl last week. I did end up shooting a doe with my recurve, but uh, hit her high. Uh, just grazed the the top of the back straps uh, with the shot, and you know, playing the shot back, it was would have been a ten ring on a three D target, but it was about 18, 19 yards. And by the time the arrow got there, the deer uh, ducked pretty significantly. I did not hold down low enough uh, to where I would have needed to in order to kill that deer. So that's a learning experience in and of itself. So I want to continue to hunt with that traditional bow. I want to keep that tag and that time of the year allocated toward that. However, I think I'm going to do different locations. I'd like to choose a location where I have more tags available. So I don't have to feel like I'm choosing between, oh, should I shoot a buck or should I shoot a doe? And it'd be nice to hunt in a little bit higher deer density area overall. So I think I can make that happen. One thing I'd like to do this year is knock on a few doors locally. Uh, I've got a ton of pins marked on Spartan Forge, uh, a bunch of different landowners. I'd like to knock on doors and ask permission that would be within, you know, a 20, 25 minute drive of my house, sometimes closer, which would be great. I mean, just about all the places that I hunt now, it's like 45 minutes minimum and that reduces the amount of time I'm able to scout there, reduces the amount of time I'm able to hunt there. I can't necessarily always get out there, you know, right after work where if I had a small property that was a little bit closer, I had permission on, even if it was small, you know, on like a Wednesday, if I get out early, that's something I'd be able to do. So that's really the only change I think for that mid-September through mid-October timeframe with the uh, traditional hunting. Now for the early season velvet stuff, there's a chance I still go back to North Dakota. Uh, I guess a little bit of it depends on what other people are doing. If uh, the Spartan Forge crew is going to be back and uh, we want to hang out again, I might do that again. Shane Simpson's been talking about Nebraska again. So um, I know the last time I went to Nebraska, I wasn't super fond of the hunting uh, compared to North Dakota. But I do think that from a North Dakota standpoint, the opportunity is a little bit better during the rut than it is uh, during early season. So maybe Nebraska makes sense. It's a little bit longer drive. It's actually a lot longer drive but it still might be worth it. So I haven't made a decision on that one yet. It'll be one of those two states most likely for that uh, first week of September. And then as we move back into the pre-rut timeframe, I think the strategy I had this year was sound going into it. It didn't work out the way I wanted to, but that was because a number of the deer I had been following just disappeared. Uh, I was able to confirm that one of them uh, was shot the other two, I have no idea. I've not gotten a picture of them all year, so I assume that uh, those other two are dead as well. And so what I need to do next year is more scouting. And there's kind of a, 
an overall fundamental difference in the way I had been hunting this, this pretty vast area and how I think I need to expand a little bit further. How I had been hunting this area was, you know, it's a, a big chunk of land, um, ton of bedding, pretty vast, a lot of places for deer to, you know, kind of get away from hunters and grow old. And so I'd spend a lot of time scouting this area and running trail cameras and trying to learn where certain deer were and then make a plan accordingly. Well, that took a lot of time. You know, anytime I would set out to go to this place, I mean, it's a half a day minimum, half a day to a full day. If you're going to hunt, if you're going to scout, um, or learn a new piece of that. And once you step foot on that land, like that was what you were doing that day. It's not like you could just quickly pop in into a lot of those spots and then go check something else out. And because of that, once my primary options kind of dwindled away, I didn't really have a whole lot to fall back onto. So that's what I need to change. I need to just spread a much wider net and get a lot more uh, possible opportunities and, and be able to have backup plans upon backup plans upon backup plans. And in talking to Randall Eric quite a bit, we, we chat a ton throughout the season. Um, if you guys don't know who he is, we've done a, a couple podcasts with him. He lives down in Iowa, um, puts in as much scouting time as anybody that I know. And we were talking about that whole, you know, do you put all your eggs into the basket of one, you know, one or two big vast pieces where every time you go in, you're spending a lot of time there and you got to go in deep. Um, he had a place that he referenced where it was like, yeah, I have, you know, a couple cameras out and they're like five miles in, but I never go out and check them because I'd, I'd never have the time. Right. Or we all know the, the old adage that sometimes those, those deer can be close to the road. Uh, I've definitely noticed that to be true as well. It's not always the case. And sometimes you absolutely do run into hunting pressure right next to the parking lots or right next to the roads. But if you can build a library of, you know, these close to the road spots, they make good fallback options because you can check so many more of them in such a smaller amount of time that you don't need all of them to pan out. Maybe you have 15 that you check and 15 that you scout, or maybe it's 30 or whatever the number is, you can check out a lot of these close to the road spots. And then if one or two of them pans out, great. You know, then you have your, your fallback option, uh, or maybe your primary option and maybe the, the bigger, more vast land, um, ends up being better than you thought and becomes a, a good backup option to it. So regardless, that's really when I'm going to be doing a lot of focusing on in the off season scouting. I know the the place I hunted this year pretty darn well. Uh, and I know where to run cameras to get good inventory. So if, if deer show up there, I feel like I'll be in a pretty good spot. However, I want to have a lot more options available. And hopefully that means that I'm able to fill my tag there during the pre-rut and not trickle into the rut because, you know, once the rut hits, it's like any state that you could want to hunt for the most part here in the Midwest, you could say, well, your best opportunity is likely during the rut time frame. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> that all happens during the same exact week and, you know, a couple of weeks for most of those states. So how do you pick and choose? Well, if you've already got tags filled, that makes that decision process a lot easier for once November hits. Now I ended up hunting Wisconsin and North Dakota this year for the rut. And I think that worked out pretty well. Um, this is the first time I hunted North Dakota during the rut. I'd like to get back there again, just like Minnesota though, when you hunt there during the rut, it's more likely than not going to be during an open firearm season. So you're gonna have to wear blaze orange and you're going to have a lot of guys, you know, driving around the roads and, and I don't know what the early rut looks like. You know, I got there almost Thanksgiving last year. So is there a lot more hunting pressure the first week of November? I don't know. Maybe there is. Uh, 
But regardless, that's a good option for me where I don't have to spend a lot of time scouting in the off season simply because Bucks are going to be traveling more in daylight and I have some of those historical doe bedding areas uh, marked and I have some uh, more of those you know good pinch points marked just from the times that I have been out there with in-season scouting. Whenever I'm out there on an early season hunt, if I find something I think that could be good during the rut, I'm obviously marking that stuff and those are the types of things I'm able to go back to. Now, I would like to also go out there in the spring and do a scouting mission uh, just in case something in the pre-rut starts to hit. If I can locate a bunch of good scrapes and, you know, good primary or community scrapes, especially near bedding areas that are nice and secluded, then maybe that gives me an opportunity where I can bounce back and forth and make a decision at a, a moment's notice of, well, maybe I go to North Dakota, maybe I go to Wisconsin, just based on what I'm seeing on cameras. So that's always an option as well. Uh, as far as Minnesota, hopefully by that point in time, I've filled the traditional tag. Uh, but if not, you know, the two options that I have, and, and this is kind of, I guess, by this point in time would be uh, rifle season or shotgun season, depending on where you are at in the state. That's probably the last thing that I would like to do. Not meaning that I wouldn't like to do it, but I mean, I'd like to try and fill the archery tags first and all those other states first. And then once I feel like I've, you know, hit the end of those hunts, transition over into uh, the firearm tag in Minnesota. I could do it archery too, but I mean, by that point in time, uh, to be honest, I'd, I'd probably welcome the, the chance to sport a little bit different weapon and be able to hunt just a little bit differently. I like to hunt oftentimes gun hunting like I do bow hunting, meaning close quarter stuff. But sometimes I'll be able to hunt in trees that I wouldn't be able to bow hunt out of because you know, there's no shooting lanes within 20 yards. There's no branches, but once you get up there, then you can you know shoot 40 to 80, let's say. So that opens up some new opportunities as well. There are some areas further north in Minnesota I'd like to do some scouting in as well. Uh, I've referenced on here uh, a number of times scouting and hunting in the southeastern part of the state, especially uh, for turkey hunting. And I've done a lot of deer scouting down there and always have these plans of, of trying to make it down there. But, you know, one thing that always remains the case is that the hunting pressure down there is insane. Uh, it's, it's worse. It's probably worse there than any other place that I hunt, uh, throughout the country. So anytime I've been, well, I take that back Missouri during the rut in some of those archery only, uh, conservation areas was probably the worst bow hunting pressure, uh, that I've ever seen. You know, where every parking lot's got, you know, six trucks in it. And, you know, we're not talking a rifle season. We're talking just an archery season. So that's probably the worst. But this is probably, once it comes to firearm season, the worst. Um, where just about every place you can park, there's multiple vehicles. Uh, you get guys dropped off literally by the bus load. Uh, there's buses that, that will come in and, and drop people off in some of these public areas. Um, guys that'll they'll just basically work down one state highway and every time you hit a public piece they're dropping off two or three people um so that that definitely happens down there um i know i was watching the hunting public video and zach Farenbaugh had went down there he mentioned at the, the start of one of his videos and basically said he couldn't even find a place to camp uh, so he ended up going someplace else and the only challenge that i've had about the northern part of the state is just knowing that you know the train's a little bit different and it's a little bit more of an unknown because there's not as much content around that area of the state. It's generally not known as being as good of hunting as uh, what you can get in the southern part of the state or, or even the central part of the state along the Mississippi River corridor. But 
there's going to be less people in lower hunter densities, especially during the archery season. And that's probably the primary difference. I would imagine you definitely run into more grouse hunters up in that part of the state for sure. And you probably just like in some places in the South part of the state, you run into more squirrel hunters early season than you do bow hunters. I would imagine that as you go further and further North, you run into more grouse hunters than you do bow hunters. And certainly there's the wolf aspect of it as well. Uh, their range has been expanding over the last, I don't know, however long they've been tracking it. And, you know, the 2018 wolf range map that I saw was, you know, the furthest that they spread out from that northeast corner of the state. I have some friends, uh, and I've used to hunt up in kind of the Duluth area, not in the Duluth City hunt, but, you know, past that a little ways. And I have some friends that still hunt up there, and they'll go up during the rut and they still have decent success. And just generally in that area of the state, you know, that whole northern part from the northwest to the northeast uh, is a lot of public land, tons and tons. So I have a few areas marked out that I'd like to do some scouting in. And the primary goal would be what looks good from a bedding perspective, a food perspective, what kind of land can deer not get hunted out of uh, with the rifles and start there and do some scouting. And like I mentioned, I'll have the option of looking at some of the places I've knocked on doors on, you know, close to the cities. And then some of these areas that are a little bit further outside where I have to drive uh, quite a decent ways to get to and then make a decision from there. Most parts of the state in Minnesota, you can't run trail cameras in anyway, but some you can. So I might do a mix and maybe that'll help sway the decision. But some of the places I've been really looking at, uh, you can't run trail cameras in. So it might be a little bit, again, more of an unknown, which makes a late rut hunt or a a rifle hunt uh, a little bit more appealing for that aspect just because I wouldn't be able to keep as good of tabs on it and I'd be hunting more based on what the terrain looks like and and uh, what the historical sign look like and then do in-season scouting when I would show up so that one's an unknown I may do it may not ultimately just depends on how the rest of the season goes whereas some of the other things I feel like will be a little bit more set in stone like I'm gonna do a velvet hunt uh, I'm gonna do most of the early season hunting with traditional and then I'm going to switch gears and go over to pre-rut and then we'll hunt during the rut in whatever States I'm still have an open tagging at that point. And then the last thing would be switching over to a firearm slash uh, muzzleloader hunt in Minnesota or Wisconsin. And then by the time late season rolls around, it's whatever's left. Um, I'm probably not going to actively uh, pursue a late season hunt, some other tag by that point in time, if I've had a lot of success, I definitely won't have the need for more venison. And if I haven't had a lot of success, it means I still got tags to fill in those states that I have those original tags for. So anyways, that kind of summarizes the, uh, the season review and how that translates into a strategy at this point uh, looking into next year. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I'd be happy to answer. That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY underscore Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.